Thank you so much for being here tonight. I am Maeve Higgins, and this is Maeve in America. This show is immigration stories told by the people who've lived them. And this is a special live episode. We are coming to you from Subculture in New York City. We have a very good show for you. It is really jam-packed. We have Yosemar Riz. He's a nationally acclaimed poet and a spoken word artist, but he's one of the good ones. Um... <laughs> He's also an activist, and he's from Guerrero in Mexico. And we have Amanatu So, who's co-founder of Tech Lady Mafia. And co- yeah, a lot of Amina fans in the house. Well, remember, it's my show. Um, <laughs> she's co-host of the amazing podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. Amina's coming up. Um, plus, we're going to have comedy from Naomi Ek Perrigan, who is so funny. And music from Emmy the Great, who is not funny, but so good at music. Before any of that, I want to bring up my friend. She's our resident statistician here at Maeve in America. Please welcome to the stage, Mona Chalabi. <laughs> Hi, Mona. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Now you take a seat. You're a regular on the show, but nobody knows what, what you look like. No, so no. we should do a description. <laughs> Go on then. What height are you? I think I'm 5'4". And you have long curly hair. Yeah, on my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that all you want to say? (laughs) But you're also an immigrant. I know we've talked about it in the show before, but I wanted to talk about where each of us is at with our immigration status. Yeah. Where are you at? Uh, so I have a slight issue with my visa right now because it's the stamp in my passport is about to expire. So I'm going to go back to England on Friday. I thought I'd make the trip really, really useful by going back mm-hmm. to fix my visa status, but also surprising my sister for her birthday. So I text my mum to say, oh, like, will you come get me? from the airport and my mum is really really dyslexic so she like makes these terrible terrible mistakes by text like when I was like we can surprise Nadia she texts me back saying good ISIS I'll meet you at the airport (laughs) 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 not now (laughs) oh my god and a mention of Heathrow you don't want ISIS and Heathrow in the same like sentence together no no Um, not unless you're Iraqi (laughs) (laughs) you're not but your mom yeah your mom is okay um (laughs) wait so what visa are you on i'm on an o1 are you you know i didn't know that yeah oh you thought i was below you (laughs) i thought you were on h1b no oh i'm on an o1 yeah because that's like the one special thing about me that i'm on an o1 and I'm on an O1. Because oh. <laughs> so that's an alien of extraordinary ability visa, if you don't know. And so that's what we are now. I thought I was. And then I thought you were just like, were sponsored by the Guardian. <laughs> but I guess anyone can get them these days. Um, a three-year A O1? three-year one, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Same. Um, I need to renew mine in May. Mm-hmm. Or like in August, so I have to apply in May. And um, Are you nervous? A little bit. Just because I think I'll probably be fine because I'm Irish, but there's a few considerations, which are, one, I went to Iraq and Iran last year, 
and was like so happy with my exotic stamps on my passport. And now I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> um, do you know what? I have numbers on O1Bs, if you're curious. I, I yeah. am. How many people do you think were admitted to the US from abroad in 2015? On O1s? Just total, total, total. Oh, um, oh, even for vacations? Mm-hmm. Oh, like six million? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it was 181 million. Yeah. Yeah. The vast majority of these, um, all of the categories here, the actual names of them are kind of weird. So this is temporary visitors for pleasure. Is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting because in all of these classes, obviously, yeah. as you said, everyone's talking about the H-1Bs, which there were 537,450 in 2015, mm-hmm. which is a lot, right? But there were also 283,000 H-2As. Those are agricultural workers. There's no question about them because the US economy needs them so badly. Yeah. Also, 2 million people that were admitted um, in 2015 were students. There's also no debate about students coming here because they're paying pretty high fees I guess but it's just interesting Mm -hmm. how politicized each of these different categories are Mm -hmm. do you want to know how many O1s there are yeah guess oh like seven (laughs) like you me and like some really cool Danish band There were 93,000 of us in 2015, yeah. So that number has trebled since 2006. And I remember you talking about this before, about how it's kind of become... Because for both of us, right, it's super vague. Like, saying that you're... My mum called me extraordinary when I was young. She was, like, playing loose with the term, you know? Like, you can kind of do (laughs) anything. I'm actually dyslexic. What she meant to say was adopted. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. This one's happening in immigration just this week alone, as we know. So there was terrible news from Kansas, where there was an Indian immigrant killed, Srinivasana Kuchibotla, and that was a hate crime. And the guy was shouting, get out of my country. And so Trump addressed that in his speech to Congress, where he announced Voice, which is the special agency for crimes that immigrants commit. And on the criminality thing, it's something that we've discussed before in the podcast, is that the numbers actually completely refute that whole narrative, because we know that native-born uh, Americans commit crimes at far higher rates than, than yeah. first-generation immigrants. Second-generation immigrants, weirdly, end up catching up with the native-born <laughs> on the crime rates. <laughs> Truly, statistically, it's really interesting. They're like yeah. the exact same curve, but the first-generations, uh, first-generation immigrants have lower crime rates. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it's like something you pick up in school. <laughs> okay, Mona, thank you for all of your help with this show. And also, can I ask you, like, what have you learned that surprised you about immigration? I thought it was really interesting that all of the voices that you interviewed on the podcast... I do, the, I do all the voices. <laughs> this is a one-woman show. <laughs> I've heard you do foreign accents and they're not that good. <laughs> But what's the most surprising thing? It's it's the fact that all of those voices, like, they don't really express any self-pity for the situation. They're just incredibly resilient people who are all about, like, taking a knock and then figuring out what's the next way to kind of proceed with their their lives. It's quite inspiring. Mona Chalabi, thank thank you so much. much. Bye, everyone. Uh, 
now I want to bring up our first guest. His name is Yosemar Reyes, and I'm a real fan of his. He's so talented. I saw him performing out west, and I really wanted him for the show, and I'm so glad that he could make it. He's got this way of speaking that is so poetic, and that is because he is a poet. <laughs> Put your hands together for Yosemar Reyes. Buenas noches. Oh, look at y'all being bilingual and shit. <laughs> so my name is Yosima Reyes. I write a lot about being an immigrant and about being queer and stuff because it's cute. Um, I don't know if you could tell, but I'm undocumented. And if you have never seen an undocumented person, this is your moment. <laughs> like, bask in it. Yeah, like... So I like to tell people I'm undocumented because right now we're getting a lot of national attention. You know, Trump really is, like, obsessed with us, you know? <laughs> I want to play that Mariah Carey. Like, why are you so obsessed with me, you know? <laughs> so basically, I started shifting my narrative. I was like, you know what? I'm always talking to citizens and explaining them these basic-ass facts. And I'm so tired of that shit. Like, you motherfuckers, go on Google and then figure out why I can't get papers and stop asking me that shit. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to direct my messaging just to undocumented people because at least I don't have to explain nothing to them because they get it. So this is a poem called Why I Love Us. I love undocumented people. I love us because every day we wake up to a country that hates us. We wake up, give thanks to God, and go to work. We come home, we watch the news, hear how our own TVs deem us criminal. We change the channel and pray that tomorrow will be a better day for us. When they give us a little breathing room like DACA, we make the most of it. We're so grateful that often we forget we deserve better. We stay low on the radar because we want peace, want to exist without the added stress of having to be public about where our spirits ache. We just want to work and feed our families. And yet we become scapegoats to a system that is addicted to exploiting the poor. I love my undocumented people because the way our spirits are toyed with, you need some unfathomable strength. I love my undocumented people because we have constantly had to prove our humanity and we have constantly done it beautifully because to stay human under these conditions, you have to have an understanding of beauty. I love us even when our stories are manipulated and exploited. I love us because at the end of the day, somehow we always manage to make something out of nothing. There's nothing beautiful about being undocumented, nothing at all. But my people let me know that no matter how much this country breaks, I know strength and strife. Como dice mi abuela, Dios aprieta, pero no ahorca. Yossi! Thank you! That was beautiful. Thank you. So, you know what I'm curious about? Yeah. Being out as undocumented and also like being out as... Is that from a queer thing? Yeah, I think a lot of the undocumented um, language um, was used to the, that. There's a thing called call me coming out of the shadows. It was very important for undocumented people to so start being more vocal. Like Harvey Milk's like, oh, come out, start yeah. telling your friends and family, debunk the myths, come out, be more public about um, your status. Well, and I'm really glad that you do. But at the same time, it's kind of charged at the moment because... You are a DACA recipient? Yes. Yeah. So first, let's explain what DACA is. Just so DACA is um, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So Obama um, announced this program in which um, um, young people that were brought to this country would uh, qualify for a, an executive order in which um, we would be granted um, a two-year work permit. And if I were to get stopped, I would not be priority for deportation. Is it more dangerous now? It's a murky line. Like, you don't know... 
if that necessarily protects you. But for me, for now, I haven't had any issues. Mm -hmm. But I know that there's been several cases when people who have this under the same program um, have been detained. We're going day, literally day by day because we do not know what's happening. In the work that I do, I work with a lot of undocumented people. We've been noticing a lot of them you know, not really wanting to be public anymore. It's just too risky. I feel like for me as an artist, it's always been like, this is something that I want to explore simply. I mean, it doesn't define me who I am because I, I always tell people being undocumented is not an identity. It's a social condition. Is that like your first date conversation? <laughs> being undocumented no, is it's, not... <laughs> it's not my identity. It's a social... Con- that's my Tinder. Um, <laughs> And then my second question is like, what's your number? And they're trying to give me their phone number. I'm like, no, you're social. (laughs) (laughs) So what age were you when you you got... I came here when I was three years old. Oh, my God. I bet you were so cute. You know. I just imagine a tinier version of you, like, still with, like, a cool hat. Yeah, and And super gay. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? And where did you come from and where did you get to and who was with you? So I, it's so anticlimactic. Like, bruh, I opened my eyes and I was here, you know? <laughs> I slept through the trauma of crossing the desert. Like, my mom came first. Um, she, uh, she came first and she was already working and she was here a year. And then my grandparents brought me um, to reunite with my family. But then, you know, they decided to stay. But then I was attached to my grandma when I was three. So I ended up being raised by my grandmother and my mom remarried. Now I'm like, I feel like I'm so American. I, when I was younger, I would think about deportation. And I used to be really into Destiny's Child. And in my mind, I was like, I cannot get Who deported. Who was your favorite? Like early Destiny's Child? Like, like early, like when there was when four of four? them. Yeah, with Latoya and oh Latavia. See, that's how American I am. I know there was four <laughs> members of Destiny's Child. But I remember having a huge trauma of thinking of deportation because I was like, I'm not going to be able to have the next Destiny's Child album because they don't have Destiny's Child in Mexico. It's, you know, like little nuance, yeah. like kid things. But that was my biggest fear. I can't really name a celebrity that isn't from the Latin community uh-huh. who is coming out and standing up for undocumented people and, and remarking on the raids that yeah. are starting to build up. Yeah, I think that was so... That's one of the disheartening things about, you know, some, I always tell people social justice movements can be kind of trendy. And the sad part is like, I'm trying to make undocumented people so cute, you know, like yeah. people should be, uh, can we jump on that bandwagon, you know, like, or like make a t-shirt, like I helped stop a deportation today. And then you get like 15% off your coffee or something like, and I think it's just, it hasn't really been sexy to help undocumented people. I think our messaging, and I think it's because undocumented people have never owned their own narrative. We've always had to constantly explain i mean there's also a very powerful narrative coming from the other side right yeah people are taking jobs but at the same time I, 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 we're not doing the same jobs and if you really have papers you speak the language you were born in this country and you can't get a basic ass job <laughs> then bruh it's not us <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I, I, I want to start. It's a job core for these people. I'll have like the lady that sell tamales and champurado, like give them a tutorial on how to make basic ass money. <laughs> That's a beautiful service that you're offering. It'll be a nonprofit. It will be so profitable for a foundation. If you want to fund it, let us know. Oh we got you. <laughs> Oh my god! But I mean, we're trying to work on that too with the show, with the podcast. It's like, how can you make people care about something that doesn't affect them? Yeah. Have you got any tricks? 
No, I think it, that's the thing. I think the narrative for citizens that we've always used for undocumented people is like, if there's no undocumented people, no one's going to mow your lawn. No one's going to take care of your babies. There's a servitude that undocumented people have to live up to in order for a citizen to care. Like the comfort, your comfort is going to be dis- disturbed. And I think that's a little morbid in which, you know, you're like, you're basically saying my humanity is tied to your comfort. And I, I don't know. At this point, I think... The bigger scheme of things is looking at immigration from a global perspective. Being undocumented in this country ties us up to a global issue, something that's happening throughout this world in which people are being, we're being displaced from our homes and we're seeking refuge in these countries that are displacing us. And they're like, oh, we don't want you, but then you want our resources. So it's, yeah, like if you're going to build the wall, motherfuckers, then stay here, okay? Like I'm just like, (laughs) like, let's do that. Wait, have you gotten to go You've gotten to go back to Mexico. Yeah, I went back. So, because I think a big issue with undocumented people, and there's a undocumented Irish community, mm-hmm. not that many. Uh-huh. Um, and also, I don't see them being picked up in raids. You yeah. know, um, but not that I want them to be, but you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but it's interesting because I think... there is this uh, one guy. Uh, <laughs> he's a bartender in Queens. He never called me back. <laughs> I can't, girl. I can't. Uh, uh, it's interesting because I think immigration has never been looked through a, a racial justice perspective. We haven't really said most of these undocumented people are pure people of color. It's for its reason. It's yeah. it's strategic. It's not like coincidence. And that's why my annoyance with a lot of no like no a lot of like European immigrants is like, well, I got in line. And I was like, girl, me and you look so different. Like, <laughs> but for me as an undocumented person, like my coping mechanism is to just make fun of it, like laugh as much as possible. Cause I, I always tell undocumented people, you know what? They can come after us, but one of the things that we can't let them take away is our joy. I think we can't let the fear and be inflicted in us so much that we start living our lives and start being happy. Well, thank you so much for talking yeah. to us, Yossi. I, I was hoping you would like do another piece. Yeah. Yosu Marias. Please. So this is my neighbor, Norberta, which she's also undocumented. So I read a lot of characters who are undocumented. And she had this fascination for thrift stores. And I think a lot of people don't write about poverty. We need to write. Poverty is so funny. It's so intricate. I later learned that in, in the Green Movement, that's called sustainability. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is Goodwill Trucks. There's a Goodwill truck down the street. Norberta tells us that at night people just leave bags of clothes outside to donate. No high security, she says. She schemes this plan to gather all the neighborhood kids so we can help her search through the donations. Our payoff is that we get to find old toys and get to be bad. Abuela decides that she wants to join in on the fun. So as soon as it hits 9 o'clock, we all meet at the courtyard. She tells us the game plan. Okay. Put attention, chamacos. You're going to walk down the street and you're going to search through the bags. Only take the things you need. Do not be greedy. Norberta leads the way while Abuela walks by her side as her sidekick. There's seven of us walking behind them. We're all super hyped because we're just thinking of all the cool things we're about to come up on. We get to the truck and it's like a gold mine. We can't believe people would donate all these things. There are all kinds of clothes, books, toys. We want to take it all, but we have to be smart. Isn't this stealing? I asked my abuela. But it's not really because people donate these things for people like us. 
I continue searching through the plastic bags. All the kids go for the toys, but I like books and pick up a couple that I want to read when my abuela leaves me home alone. I turn around, and I see Norberta carrying a giant teddy bear. It's like those bears are hella hard to win at the carnival. It's mio, she says. We are all mad because she calls dips on the bear and decides she actually wants to take it home to decorate her living room. In defeat, we all turn back, carrying the bags of things we picked up from the old truck. We have clothes, toys, shoes, books. As we're walking back, we hear a siren bleep. La policia! We scream and we make a run for it. We run like roaches when you turn the lights on. We hide behind cars, jumping into bushes, running past the street. Even my abuela runs. We turn back and we see Norberta's big body running, carrying the big teddy bear. She won't let go of it, but it slows her down. Before we know it, the cop car has a bright light shining in on her. On the megaphone, the cop says, ma'am, please put the bear down. <laughs> Norberta doesn't really speak English, but she knows she's in trouble. She slowly places the big teddy bear on the cement, and as the cop walks towards her, she says, Ay, es que no sé inglés. I thought this was free. She says before the cop speaks to her, the cop leaves her with a warning, and we all watch Norberta. She walks back towards us. The teddy bear sits lump-sided on the cement, her face in defeat. We all kind of feel bad for her, but before we can say another word, Norberta, in her determined immigrant spirit, says, tomorrow we're going to find another truck. <laughs> Muchas gracias. Thank you so much. After our break, we're going to speak with Amina So with music from Emmy the Great and a special cheer up Charlie with stand up Naomi Farragut. Welcome back to the show. This next guest is one that uh, we've been trying for for a really long time on the show. So I was thrilled to get her because she's fascinating and she's brilliant. Um, you might have heard her on her podcast. It's called Call Your Girlfriend. And she's done tons of stuff. She was on Forbes 30 Under 30 back when she was under 30 in 1972. And no, she's unbelievably young. And she used to work for a little mom and pop operation called Google. Um, she is a businesswoman, she's a tech powerhouse. Put your hands together for Aminatu So. Here she comes. Hello, hello. Who's your little chair? Hi. Thank you for being here. I just want everybody to know I'm very young. Okay. I'm 31. That's fine. See, you're just a baby. Yeah. Um, I'm very young. You're very young. <laughs> um, first of all, because we're an immigration podcast, I wanted to find out uh, where you came from. The way I first heard you was on your show. And I was like, that lady's from California. And then I found out you're not. No, I'm in fact not from California. My parents paid a lot of money for me to talk like this, though, so that's <laughs> what happened. <laughs> Um, I'm originally from a small country in West Africa called Guinea. Nobody knows where it is. We're famous for Ebola outbreaks every couple of years. Uh, and we're next to Senegal and Ivory Coast and all these other African countries a lot of Americans don't know because Americans don't care about geography. Um, do, do, do you ever just say, like, I'm from Africa and just, like, leave it at that? No, because honestly, that really irks me. Um, there are a lot of countries in Africa and they're all Yeah, there's, very, like... 12. It's very, con it's very, con 
It's actually very controversial on uh, Wikipedia. It's like, is there 50? Is there 51? Is there 52? Like, which which are the ones in question? Um, Niger? I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to do your homework for you. I know, like, right? <laughs> do, do your own Google. Um, but yes, there's four countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. West Africa, South Africa, North Africa, <laughs> and East Africa. So, um, so my parents are from Guinea, I, but I've never lived there. Um, because when I was born, my parents oh. were uh, political exiles, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were living in Nigeria at the time. And so I was, literally, I have a passport from a place that has never been home to me. When did you move to America? In 2004, I went to um, UT Austin, hook em horns. <laughs> um, Wait, so you moved from where to so my, Texas? So my parents were diplomats. I moved right when my parents were moving to Belgium. I came to college, but I went to an American high school the last uh my last three years of high school, that's why I talk like this. Watched a lot of Daria friends, <laughs> repeat everything. And when I moved here, I was shocked that not everybody spoke like right. Chandler. <laughs> it was very weird. Um, but yeah. I don't think you speak like Chandler. Um, In my dreams, that's, you know, like that was the goal. What did you think Texas was going to be like before you got there? Um, you know, honestly, I. I didn't know. All I knew is from a really young age, I knew I wanted to live in America because Mm -hmm. on TV, it looked like magic. There were black people who had like real lives. Whereas like in Europe, watching my like family's life in Europe was really bleak. And I was like, well, America seems great. They, you know, like everything happens there. And uh, so it was this very like romanticized ideal of what America was supposed to be. Wait, so what do you mean your ha- the, your family didn't have a good... Like, if they were diplomats? Um, yeah, they worked for international um, civil um, service. Right. So, yeah, so technically they were diplomats. But um, from, like, a class standpoint, my family was actually, like, not wealthy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also because we were, like, in political exile, I watched a lot of my family kind of scatter, and a lot of them ended up in France, and uh, in Belgium, my dad was the only black man I knew that had an office job when I was growing up. And that was something that struck me as so deeply weird. Um, what was everyone else doing? Um, everybody else was like highly educated, but they would like have to drive taxis or they were cleaning because French society is weird. But, you know, but like Bill Cosby, he had an office job. So look at how that turned out for me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how? No. <laughs> When you came here, you came here on a student visa? I came here on an F1 student visa, which they love reminding you that you have to, like, keep decent grades and, like, not get kicked out of school. Oh, it's conditional. Yes, F1 visas are conditional. You actually have to go to class, um, and you have to maintain a certain GPA. Mm -hmm. You have to be passing. Mm -hmm. It was through um, having the F1 visa that I started realizing how much of immigration was conditional Mm. because, you, you know, like... You anytime you would like leave the country and come back, you would have to talk to some like custom and borders person about what you were studying at school. Like they actually cared, um, and instead you can tell that they're like profiling you. Yeah, and they have a thousand and one questions that are not relevant about why you're in the country. And for me, those questions were always like really involved. It's like why are you flying back from Belgium? But you're from Guinea. But you're from this, and it's like. Why are we having this conversation? I meet all the requirements to be here. Just let me in. So were you like? Now I'm home in, like, my home is Texas. Did you feel that? Or were you like... Home is where the Wi-Fi connects automatically, <laughs> Maeve. That's, that's, that's it. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for, like, where is home. <laughs> I, um, it's so funny because, like, when I come through customs, first of all, there's a... You can do it in Ireland. Like, there's a few countries where there's, like, uh, 
Customs and Border Patrol in the country. Like U.S. Customs? Yeah. Do they only do this for white people? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, we're very lucky. I don't know if you know that. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a picture of the president and it's all Americans working there. And you go through like normal. So the, the, the advantage is you don't get, you don't fly all the way here to find out you get turned away. You get turned away there and then. This is blowing my mind. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, so when I go through uh, customs, it's in it's in Ireland, and I have to say what I do for a living because my visa is depend is conditional on like being a comedian, and so I have to tell them I'm a comedian, which I would never volunteer to anyone <laughs> ever. <laughs> and it is, and I go back three or four times a year, which again is so easy for me, right? To be like I can just fly in and out, and they don't, you know, and then they just tell me jokes. Like, I would say that these men, and they're largely men, <laughs> who work at the US uh, Customs and Border Patrol, they just want to tell me jokes. And you have to smile and laugh along, because you're not going to be like, that's not funny. You, no. Right. You just have to be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so sorry that that's the heart of your immigration struggle, Maeve. <laughs> it's Okay. I just wanted to relate. Um, <laughs> Very relatable. Can you tell me how you transitioned out of a student visa and like what your status is now, if you're comfortable talking about it? Yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, I'm totally fine talking about it. So I um, go through this college thing. I'm going to F1 visa. When you're done with your F1 visa, you have to do this thing called uh, optional practical training, OPT, which means that you have an extra year to stay in the country and like, get an internship or get a job or one of the like easiest ways to stay in the country if you are a student here is to study STEM or to um, study nursing and you know like jobs that like America things are like really important and they're like okay we can import uh, hella immigrants to do this because you guys are smart and you're qualified or whatever nobody told me this uh when I was studying what I was studying, and it turns out that I could have just watched like two seasons of West Wing and I would have known the exact same stuff. <laughs> is, uh, that what you re- is that your recommendation? <laughs> that's my recommendation. Don't study policy, watch West Wing, like learn engineering. Um, <laughs> I went to work at a think tank on the promise that they would apply for an H-1B visa for me, which is the visa that basically lets you stay here to work. And uh, at the very last possible minute that you can file this paperwork, my company decided that they, like, couldn't do it. And um, talk about, like, being, like, fucked. It's like, hi. Yeah, because you've no recourse, like, to build a relationship with someone who's going to sponsor you. In fairness to employers, like, the paperwork is daunting. But for me, that was, like, a serious conundrum because I, like, didn't have anywhere to go. And now I have, like, 90 days to leave the country, which uh, brought me to the exciting part of applying for asylum. I've spoken to asylum seekers before where it's, like, you can talk to someone in the airport as soon as you arrive. So you apply to this um, part of DHS called USCIS. It's Citizenship Services. And you get assigned a case officer... And it's just, it's a complete nightmare. But But do they ever tell you, like, really bad jokes? You know, they don't, they don't tell you. (laughs) Yes. They tell you Irish jokes the whole time. Um, You know, the the whole process for me was really weird because it turned out that, like, even though I was essentially a stateless person, I was still somebody with, like, immense reserves of uh, 
uh, privilege. One of the people who was like an alumni at my university was, uh, he was a lawyer at like some really big law firm and he was BP's lawyer. And he was like, I do bad things all day, so you're how I'm going to sleep at night. So I like show up at USCIS with like seven lawyers. Everybody speaks English. You know, like the whole thing is yeah. kind of a slam dunk. And what you, was your grounds for asylum? My grounds for asylum was um, female genital mutilation. My sister and I are the only two women in our family that have not been uh, genital mutilated. It's also wow. why we don't live at home. But um, wait, so do they ask you immediately? What's your, is it like, yeah, what's it's your like fear? You, it's like, yeah, it's like the, you fill out this like ginormous packet of information and it's like, what's your credible fear for not wanting to go back to wherever you're from? You do that, and you have to provide, like, a ton of proof. It's, like, newspaper articles. You have to have, like, an expert. You have to have, like, a credible threat. um, And just, like, a ton. It's, like, when you think about it, it's, like, for me, like, sure, I can gather all of that information. But when I think about, like, who the typical woman who is who applies for the service um, probably doesn't have the level of education that I do, doesn't have the kind of resources that I do, and you just, like, start seeing how the whole process is really adversarial and is really geared towards not getting a lot of people in the country actually have asylum. So that took a few years to come through? Yeah, it took a few years for me because of some, like, administrative snafus. And so you got, you were successful? Yeah, like, it worked out. It, it is was that great. A, is that a green card? Um, so you get, you get granted asylum, and then from there on, a year, I think it's like you have a year to mm. switch your status, and then you switch status into a green card. And okay. so, like, that's where I'm at. I just want to finish up on one last thing, which is like, do you have any advice? It's a rough time for lots of immigrants, lots of women, lots of people of color. Do you have any advice? Or And if you don't, it's fine too. <laughs> like, how are you doing? How do you feel better? Move to Ireland where <laughs> they have very lax <laughs> customs and border patrol. <laughs> this is my advice. I'm still dealing with my post-election just, like, funk, and I think that really just grounding myself and learning more about, like, where I live and what it means to be an American of every color and of every stripe and of every um, ethnicity has been really... That's something that's been really comforting, mm-hmm. and uh, even though it's depressing. And, you know, just, like, learning about how history... Yeah, it's, like, it's it's funny. Like, history is, history is still alive, and it's still here. And the idea of what the American project is and what is happening to it, you know, and how we all kind of participate in that and how we can contribute to that. That's like where I'm finding my solace. And that would be my advice for everyone else. I mean, so thank you so much. Thank you. So now it's time for our Cheer Up Charlie. Something light, bright, or silly, because these are dark days. This week, it's comedian Naomi Perrigan, writer on Broad City, all-around legend. Cheer Up Charlie. What's up, y'all? Where you at? Where you at? Emotionally, what are we doing? What are we feeling? Where are we at? Oh, very good to be here. This is a true safe space. You know, that's the only thing I can do. I can only take a safe space right now, okay? Since 11-9, I've been on edge, okay? Things are very stressful. It's like very, very stressful. I don't even know what to do with this time. The biggest thing I'm dealing with right now is that Jews aren't white anymore. I don't fucking know what to do with this. That's not okay. I got myself a Jew boo. That's a Jewish boo. 
And, you know, and now the whole point of that was, you know, if they brought back slavery, Jubu gonna buy my freedom. <laughs> now we both on Struggle Street. You know, I find, you know, I find myself so tense for me personally when I'm in Brooklyn because there's just like this certain breed of hipster dude, you know, there's this hipster dude who's got like the sleeve tattoos, you know, the trucker cap, the big old beard to hide his identity. You know what I'm saying? And I do a lot of stand-up shows. So it's like, if I'm walking home late at night and I'm passing you by, you know, it's kind of like, um, are you a white supremacist or do you brine your own pickles? And you just don't know till it's too late. Like, I don't know, like for me, like what I've been doing pretty much to get through this time. I try to, I try to talk to Jubu about these things. God bless Jubu, you know, bless his heart. It's funny, like we've been, you know, obviously now that we're both oppressed and we're in this like together, you know, it is like so funny too, cause he is like woke AF, you know what I'm saying? We are like in it, like I'm so fucking woke. I got insomnia, like it is very intense all day, every day. And so like, and I feel like after seven years together, I'd have just turned him into an angry black woman. He legit said to me, I said something ridiculous, like I knew it was, and he said to me dead up, he was like, bitch, please. I was like, what? Did you just become a black secretary? I got very, I was like, I've created a monster, you know? It's like really, really dangerous. But it's, um, it's funny because I think like the good thing about it now, you know, is that like now when we have sex, it's like sex now is like resistance. You know what I'm saying? Like that interracial sex, we're doing it. We're doing it for the world. And that adds a nice sense of occasion, you know? You guys, thank you so much. That was our time. I'd like to bring on stage the wonderful Emmy the Great. Although I'm wearing a jumper that um, might fool you into thinking that I'm American, because it has an American flag. I'm not. I come from the UK. But I was born in Hong Kong, and I left when I was 11. And that's why I sometimes sing in Chinese. Something that 
always thought I could never go inside. Now I've seen you here. I don't know how I even used to be alive. Can I stay here for a while? Watch you till my heart unwinds. Till I know I won't forget you. In your swimming pool. Hey, Fujata. Oh, I want. Can 看到你在在而不自到，以及怎么活？请问我的留意会，几多的心开放，几多我能忘记你，和你的游泳池。Thank you, Emmy. That was beautiful. Emmy the Great. Thanks, Emmy. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us here live at Subculture, and thanks to all of you listening at home. Maeve in America is a joint production of Pretty Good Friends and First Look Media. This episode was produced by Naomi Westwater Weeks and Shayna Feinberg, with help from Erica Romero, Julie Smith Clem, Matt Schiltz, Priyanka Srinivasan, Lee Tal Malad, Nick Bornstein, and Pat Masidi Miller, who wrote our theme music. The show was engineered by Aaron Bastinelli, James Hartnett, and Brian Pugh, with music by Emmy the Great. Special thanks to Mark Kaplan, Will Hansen, and everyone here at Subculture. Check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Maven America for photos. And there's more immigration stories coming next week. Thanks for coming. Thanks for supporting the show. And safe home, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.